Okay, please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. I'll be reading 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give me a tongue and a mind to communicate and speak what's written here in Your precious, holy, inerrant, infallible Word. And may You give us all hearts to get it, and to love it, and to see it, and to embrace it, to the glory of Jesus, and and to the salvation of our souls. Amen. Okay, remember... uh, Where Peter's at in this letter, back in chapter 2, he began addressing particular people groups within the church. First, uh, those that are citizens, which is everybody. How do you relate to the state? Then, some were slaves. How do you submit in that relationship to your slave masters? If you're a wife... How do you deal with your husband in that relationship? If you're a husband then, how do you deal with your wife? And now you see the word, finally, here it is. Here's the last one. And he's addressing, quote, all of you. Christians. Every professing believer who's in the Christian community, he says, now this is for you, married, unmarried, male, female, slave, Master, young, old, all of you in the, remember he's talking about these institutions like uh, government and marriage, employment, employer, employee, and there's an institution called the church. And he says, how do you do relationship in life now with one another? And that's what this section is about. How do you do home group? How do you do food after? How do you do the phone? How do you listen, pray for others? How do you work through difficulties that you're having with others? And he gives five dispositions that we as Christians are to actively cultivate. And they're right there in verse 8. And think about all the things he could have said for us who are Christians and how you deal with one another. These five are not some 
external list, like shake each other's hand when you see each other. You can do that. And that's okay. You can make yourself do that. All five of these have to do with what goes on in you. First. Not some external list. And then it will work itself out. And I think his point is that this, what he's telling the church to do now, with one another in community, is at the essence of Christianity or Christian living out. Because as we read these traits in verse 8, if we take them seriously, and the second one's got to be important too, and you're in touch with reality, you should feel that that seems pretty much impossible. And I think that's the point. That apart from new birth, apart from the Holy Spirit of God Himself in us, the fruits of these five things, they're they're not going to be growing, really. But if He does live in us, there is fruit to be born. And one thing this shows us is that church, the church life, the local church, the fellowship of believers is not merely a Sunday morning, sit in a chair like you're doing right now, audience. Okay, I did my church thing and then go and come back again next week. The way Peter writes this, and if we were to go back in time 2,000 years, that assumption just doesn't seem to exist. Because if that's what you do, and I grew up that way in church. I mean, that was you just did an action, you did a religious thing. Hardly knew anybody I ever went to church with. Had nothing to do with it, and many people didn't. You would wonder, why would he even say, finally all of you have unity of mind and simple, what are you talking about? It's no problem. (laughs) The people that, that, that I have to struggle with are maybe my family and other buddies or friends, but it has nothing to do with the local church community. Here, family, the family of God is assumed that the local church is a community. It is a family. It is hanging out. It is iron sharpening iron. There are rough patches and what we'll notice is that these five characteristics that we're going to look at, they go against, I, I think it's true of you, I know it's true of me, they go against my natural, sinful nature. Let's look at them. Verse 8, Finally, all of you, have, or literally, be this way towards one another. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. The first one, have unity of mind. Literally, it's, it's one word, it's a compound word in the Greek, bringing two words together into one. The word one and the word 
mind. The New American Standard Bible decided to be a little bit more interpretive and, and translate it, be harmonious. But, but, but over what? Okay. NIV says, live in harmony with one another. But the New King James, King James translated very woodenly, very literally, be of one mind. I think Peter's saying to believers in the local church, share. This is, this is what unifies you. This one thing we're doing with our mind, your thoughts, your attitudes, I think, let me just use this word that he wouldn't have used back then. Your worldview, the, the center core of why you are a community, be in unity on, on this. In other words, what unifies you are, are not your gifts, your differing hobbies and likes and dislikes from a worldly standpoint. There's something that unifies the church Believers as believers have the same thoughts concerning the greatest and most ultimate realities. That's what I think he's after. That's what the whole letter's been after, isn't it? Concerning God, Christ, the Gospel. And what that means is whether you're a, you're a housewife, you're a CEO of a big company, in the context of this letter, whether you're a slave master or you're a slave, whether you love sports or you hate sports, doesn't matter in the local church. If the church is being the church, there is a bond and a unity of mind that is far beyond all those other things that we may differ about. And it is Christ. It's the Gospel. Because his point is, Christianity is not a club. It's a miracle. It's a miracle of what Christ produced and then brought into your life through new birth. So whether you're an 85-year-old woman or like I was at one time a 19-year-old new believer, young man. I have a lot in common with that 85-year-old woman. And I, I'm got, from way back for the last 30 years, I have never, and you criticize me later, but I have never understood, because at times I was in churches and I watched it happening in church, this big push. We have to get people connected in groups where they bond over what they are worldly. Musicians, you should be in a home group because you guys relate to one another over here. I love golf. I love to golf. I, but the idea always seemed really just out of touch and tune with this book to me and the life of the community that it creates. That, oh, Joe should be in a, a group with other golfers. It's the last thing I wanted to ever do or sports lovers, or if you're a knitter, or whatever you do. No. We come, this is his point, the church, its variety of personalities, male, female, young, old, 
household, socioeconomic class, hobbies are various. And he says, be of one mind. I got to think, therefore, that's possible if we keep central things central. Secondly, he says, have sympathy. That word is another compound word in the Greek. Two words. Soon, pasco. Pasco is that basic word for, for to suffer. Soon is with. With, suffer. Or suffer with. He, he's saying to us, in other words, this is what I mean by the internal, not just an external thing. Feel with the other. Endeavor to be a person who feels what your brother or your sister feels so that you can actually respond in a sensitive, appropriate way. This word has to do with to be sympathetic is, is to get it. <laughs> when you're dealing with each other, it's like, yeah, I think that person really understands where I'm feeling, what I'm saying, where I'm coming from, and, and I get that feedback. It's, it's that I, I got it. True sympathy, it, it, it endeavors to suffer with. It's the opposite of when someone pours out their heart, listen to them, do probably pretty good, you know, not interrupting much. And then, okay, they're done. And then you give them the answer what they weren't asking for. They just wanted to share. They wanted sympathy. They wanted, needed someone to say, I, gosh, I get it. And they didn't need you to say, oh yeah, I know how you feel. Because they're thinking, if you really knew how I feel, you wouldn't have said that. This is that, that sympathy that he's talking about it. It's, it's many times quiet. It can be time consuming. It inquires and asks questions of other people. It wants to know your experience. Or tell me more about that. What do you think about that? How do you feel about that? As opposed to hearing a couple things they said and using that as a platform to get what you really want is to spout off what you feel and think at that moment. I told you this goes against the grain of our sinful nature. So if this, this is a nightmare, and I literally would resist at all costs because of my sin nature to do this, but to have your life tape recorded in in communities, at dinner parties, at church, and dealing with people. Just say someone did that for the last five years. What would it look like when you're with people at, at dinner? Do, do, would you see yourself inquiring? like And inquiring more and asking specific questions and showing sympathy. I want to suffer with. I want to be with. I want to try to understand you or, or, or get you, or would it just look like, uh, wow, I, I totally missed that. I couldn't wait for me to jump in and say what I had to say. 
third, have brotherly love. This is the word Philadelphia. It's where we get the city Philadelphia from the Greek word phileo, love of brother Adelphos. Philadelphia. Again, this is, and this is this New Testament word that comes up because it is a unique thing that Jesus has created. People from different tribes, tongues, nations, backgrounds get saved by the work of the Spirit through the hearing of the Gospel. Let me just say it differently. They get born of the Spirit. And they are, along with everybody else who is born of the Spirit, a brother, a sister, a family. You may rub each other raw like Haas and little Joe Cartwright. They even come to fisticuffs sometimes. Some of these people are probably too young. But someone from the outside of the Cartwright family comes against one of the others, they're going to stick up. But, but what's really going on there? There is an affection that is created because they're born of that family or were born of the Spirit. Fourth, have a tender heart. Or the NIV translates it, be compassionate. King James, show pity. New American Standard Bible, be kind-hearted. The word is eusplanknoi. Yeah. What, okay, what that means is, it, the word is entrails. Yeah. Gut. An animal, pull out its guts, its entrails. That's the word. Of course, he's using it metaphorically. Oh, we do the same kind of things. You ever, you ever talk about... Something happened or fear gripped you and you're talking, just in my guts. We talk that way. We're trying to communicate something that's deep down a feeling. And he says, be that way. So he's saying something like this. It's, it's not irrelevant how you... Okay, we're going to talk about, he's going to talk about action in verse 9. But it's not irrelevant how you, f- you feel. And, and that's why like the New American reaches for... To be what tender-hearted, or in the ESV, tender heart, soft heart, guts. He's talking about with your heart. So, but I don't like that brother or sister. They rub me raw. Pray, because these are the fruit. Of the Holy Spirit. Fifth, have a humble mind. Just like the first one, we had the word mind, and it had be said, be of one mind. And this last one, it's a compound word again with the word mind, but it's have a humble mind. It has to do with concerning your attitude, your thoughts, the stuff you know, the knowledge you have. It's the opposite of being arrogant or prideful in that. It it doesn't mean don't get knowledge. It has to do with be careful how you 
Use your knowledge. What you think about yourself concerning your knowledge. Like the proverb says, get knowledge. But with all you're getting, get understanding. It's the difference between knowing stuff and being a person who actually knows how to deal with other human beings. It's called wisdom. How to apply knowledge. The Bible's all for knowledge. Apostle Paul's all for knowledge, but he's the one who said knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. It wasn't say, therefore, the key is don't get knowledge. The key is love with your, your knowledge. And this, this last one, be this way, be humble-minded. This is what I think he's not saying. Hey, when you come to church, especially after you hear this sermon for the next you know, three weeks until it wears off, try to at least act as if you're humble in your mind. And this word, the way he's using it, that's not what he's getting at, I don't think. We are constantly desperate. We are never totally and always there to the place where come pursue daily a place where you really are convinced and feel anything that you have that is of value is really ultimately and utterly dependent upon God. That's the essence of humility. So, this, a person who has never read a book in the last 14 years, and the top uh, scientist in his field, and both here, here they are, they're in church. The scientist is in no more danger than this other person. That's not the issue. The issue is to understand if you're the top scientist or if you're the top theologian or you know computers well, you have knowledge in an area. It is to really believe this is all a gift. And to the extent we do, boasting is gone. Remember how Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So, all five of these descriptions that they have to do, you see that what's going on in us, in our hearts, in our perceptions of each other, in our dealings with each other. So I want to repeat them all again by just paraphrasing. Okay, Here's my paraphrase of verse 8 that we saw, taking everything into account that we just heard. He's saying, all of you who are born again, you love Christ, be a people who are pursuing a common mindset, passion, purpose concerning the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Have a deep sense of sympathy, a sensitivity toward each other in the body. Love each other as, as family born of the same Spirit. Let your inners, your heart be tender toward one another. And in your relations with others, don't think too much of yourself. I think he's ex-
exhorting us to do. Now that feels impossible. Now, in one sense, by definition, sanctification, that is the Christian life of pursuing righteousness in growth, there is no such thing as perfection or sinlessness in this life. Okay, go on. Just that. Okay. But still, I can do some external things. These internal things, we can all think of examples that we wrestle with. Feel? I can act like it, but to, to actually feel and be genuine? See how desperate we are in our relationship vertically with Christ. Just feel from it. I think this is the flow of the, the letter of 1 Peter. Remember, it starts off, you've been born again. And so, he, this is where I think he's coming from. If you have been born again, in other words, if God, the Holy Spirit, dwells and lives in you, if Jesus, because of all that, He really is your treasure, Remember chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Though you don't see Him, you, you love Him and you rejoice. Again, that's an inner thing. By the Spirit. That's why it's there. If those things are true, then the seed in the ground, as Jesus in the parable of the sower, is in your heart. And these are some of the fruits that we've just seen. And, and they will grow as we pursue vertically Christ in His Word, as we water it with His Word. And, and they need to be tended. And you, you have three weeks where, God, you really did that work in my life, and God will give you, therefore, now another temptation and bring out more of your sin. And it doesn't mean, oh, no, woe is me. It means you continue to water. We fall upon Him as we... Pursue His work in our life. Because all of those experiences, if you're a child of God, are His grace to you in sanctifying you. But notice what we've just seen here. This has made the idea that, that a Christian can be a lone ranger. I believe in Jesus. And, and they don't go to church. Or they're not. Or maybe they just go as a spectator. And, it, it doesn't really work. You've got to think. And some of us have known people like this. I've been in church for years, but I, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And you've got to think, if they sit home and ever read the Bible, and they're reading Peter here, what are they thinking? <laughs> Be this, sympathetic towards others. And they're not even around Christians ever. You, you have to. Because Christianity isn't that. It's easy not to feel too convicted if you don't get involved with other people. If you don't allow yourself to be known, I don't mean just seen, but known, share your life a little bit, your heart. It's pretty easy not to feel terribly con convicted. But the Christian life, by definition, is lived in community. Remember Hebrews 3.12? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. Okay, help me. 
Next verse. But encourage one another daily. As long as it is still called the day. You know what happens in that as you're in a home group? As you go out to lunch with fellow believers and catch up on them, what happens when you're seen and being seen and known? We see each other's stuff. And then someone can encourage you. I don't know the way you're treating your wife or the way you said that to them. What's going on in your life? How's your relationship with God? Are you, is there an evil, unbelieving heart growing in you because evidences come up here in the community? Now, just look at verse 9. The next verse, in verse 9, he helps us see how these inner dispositions, these inner traits that he's saying, let, let, let these grow in you, how they work themselves outward in the Christian community. Quote, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, insult for insult. But on the contrary, when that happens to you, respond this way, bless. So he says, now, here's the outward action as life happens. Parenthesis, notice. Peter right here is talking about the Christian community. And he assumes Christian sin against Christians. And he says, respond this way. Bless. Not this. Don't return that junk. Help. Bless the other instead. So far then, what we see in verses 8 and 9 is that Peter has told us how to pursue a particular, these five traits, feelings and dispositions toward each other in the body of Christ and how to act when being reviled, evil done against you. Okay? Now, here's the important question. Why? (laughs) Okay, why should I? Jesus, Paul, Peter, cater to childlike minds like mine. Maybe that's why I ultimately have become a pastor, this guy who's supposed to look at the Bible all the time. Because I hate not knowing why. It bothers me not to understand stuff. I know, and it bothers you guys sometimes when I don't. But, okay, but why? And I want to say, when it comes to the why in your Christian life and understanding the gospel and the Christian living that comes out of it, just put the, when you open your Bible, don't ever get rid of that, what I say childlike, because if you've got kids, you know that age, right? Four, five, six, why, 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 until we beat it out of them. Or we try to help them. Don't grow out of that. Because in Christianity, motivations, reasons why are hugely important. 
And Peter answers the why question in verse 9. See it? The second part of verse 9. For. That means, here's why. Why, Peter, should we listen to you and cultivate this stuff on the inside of us towards one another and not return evil for you? Why, Peter? Because to this you have been called that you may obtain a blessing. In other words, he's saying cultivate these internal qualities toward one another and don't return evil for evil, insult for insult. Why, Peter? Because to this you have been called that you might obtain a blessing. What does that mean? The big question there in verse 9 is what does the calling refer to? Now, what I'm going to ask you to do, okay, this is going to be hard the next 12 minutes. Do your best to follow. I, I will be redundant to hopefully help you. When you're looking at your Bible, he says you're called to this. Called to what? What I mean is this. Does it refer to what comes after? In other words, because you're called to this, that is, to inherit a blessing. Or, does the call refer to what we've heard in this sermon so far? You're called to cultivate these five traits. And you're called in your Christian life, especially in the Christian community, not to return evil for evil and insult for insult, but instead to bless those people. Is that what we are called to? So far, are you following the question? No, okay. Okay. In reading commentaries on 1 Peter, I've seen commentators come down on both sides of that question. And the reason is because both of those interpretations are grammatically possible in the Greek. Let me slowly, woodenly again, just read verse. Why should we do this? Because to this you were called that you might inherit a blessing. Or, because to this you were called in order that you might inherit a blessing. The reason you should live this way is because you have inherited a blessing. Is that what he's saying? Or is he saying the reason you should live this way is in order that you would inherit a blessing? See, the answer to how we deal with this ultimately hinges on, what, if, if you have an ESV in front of you, the way they translate it, the word that. See that there? See the word that you might inherit a blessing. The Greek word behind that is a, it's the word hina. The question is, does that refer to, which it could do, to because you were called to this, 
Now I'm going to define the this. Indirect discourse. That you might inherit a blessing. Or what the henna predominantly refers to in the New Testament, a purpose clause. Live this way for the purpose that you get this blessing. That's the issue. Okay, you following me so far? So let me just retranslate. Should we translate this and understand it to say this way? Live this way. Live the way of not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Because look, you've inherited a blessing. Or live this way. Don't return evil for evil, insult for insult, in order that you will inherit a blessing. You feel it? Okay, all right. Does it really matter? Because we could be of the mindset that just says, come on, don't, this is not practical. I mean, for the average Christian, may, you know, maybe for a theologian or an ivory tower exegete or commentators do this kind of thing. But Joe, on Sunday morning, look, I'm not here to, to think. We're here to worship and, and to do. And Joe, it's already been clear, okay? We're supposed to bless others, not return evil for evil, okay? And, and we're going to inherit a blessing, okay? That's clear. Who cares about the connection between those two? I want to plead with you for your soul's sake as a Christian. With, with not just a sermon, but in your life and with the Bible. Don't think that way. Because the Bible doesn't think that way. Which means God doesn't think that way. And the difference of these two, the questions I'm putting forward, how we understand this, the difference is vital for understanding of the Christian life. Because if in this text the calling that we're called to refers to our blessing others, what came before, that's what you're called to live this way, then verse 9 teaches that that is a condition we meet in order to obtain the future blessing. If the calling refers to the future blessing, then there, there is no condition. I think the flow of 1 Peter here and the grammar of our text means we are called to live this way in order that we will inherit the blessing. Now, there's two, I think, strong reasons why I come down there. The first is what Peter has already said in chapter 2, verse 21. To so look at it for a moment. Because what he does there, the content itself of what he's talking about, the actual grammar and the structure are so similar here. So, look at verse 2. I mean, chapter 2, verse 21. But I'm going to start in the middle of verse 20. He says... If when you do good and you suffer for it and you endure, 
this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Remember, that, that, what he means there is that pleases God. Okay, got to feel it now. Here he is. This is the Christian living again. If when you were suffering, being persecuted, stuff comes against you and you don't last back, you endure, that finds favor with God. Now look at verse 21. Why? For, here it is, here's the reason, for to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Now, there, in chapter 2, there's no ambiguity like there is in chapter 3. The, you were called to this clearly means to what he just said before. You're called, God called you to live that way. So it refers to what comes before. He says, why are we to do good and to patiently endure when other people are doing bad against us? Because to this you were called. Okay. So, in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, and in our text, he says we have, this is what I'm arguing, we have a call from God to live as believers this way. Now, the second reason is the immediate context. Because what Peter does now in verse 10 is he quotes Psalm 34 verses 12 to 16. That's what he does in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. And when you look at it, this quotation clearly promises blessing in response for your behavior. Verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Okay. So right here now in First Peter verses 10 to 12, that quotation makes sense as an argument for verses 8 and 9, which it is, only if Peter is saying in verses 8 and 9, live this way because that's what you're called to. In order that what comes out of that is you're inheriting the blessing. See? following that? If Peter means you've been called to obtain a blessing with no condition, then verses 10 to 12 is not a good argument. It doesn't doesn't flow. It doesn't make sense. But in the text, Peter clearly, unambiguously is using the psalm as an argument. That's why verse 10 starts with the word for. The word gar in Greek. He's looking at the the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And there is no word for in the psalm. He puts it there saying, I'm grabbing the psalm. This is my support for what I have just contended for in verses 8 to 9. So Psalm 34, in other words, it, it supports, it backs up what Peter says. It's the same logic 
as Peter used in verses 8 and 9. If one desires to love life and to see good days, you want a good future, he says, watch your tongue. Live this way. Don't return evil for evil. So in other words, Peter uses Psalm 34 to restate the exact logic that he just used in verses 8 and 9. Which is, if you desire to inherit the blessing, then you must not return evil for evil. This is your walk of life. So Peter motivates our loving each other. He motivates us to bless when we're cursed. How? By showing that, and here I'm going to use my words carefully, because we're coming back next week. Showing that in some sense, that is a condition for inheriting the blessing. Now, one more question. What does the word blessing mean? Because that seems to be rather important. Does it mean that, okay, next week will go really good for me? Okay, I'll get a good doctor's report, that's the blessing, or, uh, you know, what does it mean? Or does it mean the blessing of eternal life? Let me quote from one commentator on First Peter, because this is how you ask, and this is a good example of this commentator doing your Bible reading. As you're reading, think what, about what the words say, okay? And that's what we're doing here, as I, as I quote from a commentator of First Peter, Wayne Grudem. Quote, Does blessing here refer to the final blessing of eternal salvation? Or to God's blessing in this present life. Now, in favor of the former, that is, of eternal life, is the fact that the word, to, in the ESV, obtain, it is the word kleranomeo. That's the word inherit. Okay. In other words, it's the word we've already heard. It's the verb form here. You remember in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. You've been born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Unto an inheritance. A living hope in the inheritance which is laid up or kept for you, reserved in heaven. Clearly, he's talking about the eschatological future age for believers when he uses the word inheritance there he uses the same word here live this way so that you will get you will come into or inherit literally the blessing that's what that's what I think Peter means here in this text we bless in order that we inherit a blessing in the age to come. Or as Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Why? Because they shall receive mercy. Now, chapter 3, verses 8 to 12 here. This is not isolated in First Peter, that form of logic. Let me just read to you 
three other places in this short little letter where I think the same logic of Peter's comes through. In chapter 1, verse 17, Peter says, And if you, professing Christian, if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves in fear throughout the time of your exile on earth. Chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice, here it is, live this way, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings in order that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. He says, you don't want Jesus to come back and be really bummed out about that because many people will. He says, in order that you will rejoice when that happens, Rejoice now when you share in his, in his sufferings. And one more. In chapter 5, verses 5 to 6, Peter writes, Christians, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Here we go again. How come? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under His mighty hand, or the mighty hand of God. Why? So that at the proper time, He may exalt you. Okay. Let me just say this this morning. When I say, that, that's what I think this text is saying. Do not hear this. And like I say, we're coming back next week. But, this does not mean Peter is teaching that our future blessing is somehow earned by doing works of even loving. Works of, works of cultivating this. Works of not returning evil that, that merit the blessing. That can never happen. It's not what he's saying. Our loving others watching this fruit in our lives to one extent or another, blessing those who insult us, does not purchase the blessing. This has been so clear in this letter so far. It is, remember verse 13, chapter 1, fix your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the second coming of Christ. It has been all purchased by Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse 4, the inheritance is yours. It's reserved. It's kept. You, are you His? You cannot not inherit it. Okay, he's been clear on this. So, well, we got to stop. <laughs> so we're coming back next week, and I'm gonna probably re-say everything I said there in about 25 seconds. And now, and then we're gonna do what? I think what we need to do is go deal with the issue more in depth of what we've seen this morning. So we don't misconstrue what I've said or misconstrue in our life what's going on in Scripture. Okay. 
the future blessing of inheritance. The blessing is assured for all. This is what we're going to hear next week. For everybody who has been born again. It is assured for everybody who has come to saving faith. It is assured for all who are in Christ. We're going to see that that new life that Christ purchased bears the fruit. The fruit that comes out of new birth. The presence of the Spirit. It comes out of genuine saving faith. But this morning, is Christ yours? Do you love the Gospel? Though you don't see Jesus, do you love Him? Then hear the word of the Lord. Pursue in your life having a unity of mind over the Gospel in the context of the local church. Have sympathy for each other. Have brotherly love. A tender heart. And a humble mindset. Do not go about repaying evil for evil or or insult for insult, but instead bless. Because to this you were called, that you may inherit a blessing. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the the grace of the work of Your Holy Spirit upon our hearts and and minds. The grace that, that, that feels this passage as serious, as heavy. The grace that says, oh, and thus draws us to You and not from You. And draws us into an assurance as we actively pursue our hearts delight in You and the fruit born of it that grabs hold of the assurance of the salvation that was purchased once and for all for the sheep. Oh, do that mercy. Do that grace upon hearts and lives in this room throughout this week to the glory of Jesus' name, to the fruit of the Holy Spirit born to even a greater extent this week than last in our lives. I pray. Amen. Please stand.